I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, in 2023, producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. Yeah, we are within range where that is still socially acceptable to say because it's only like the day after. I think the first three months is a a fair range of seeing someone for the first time. If you see somebody for the first time, Mike, especially in these quarantine times, like you don't run into as many people. So when you run into them, Happy New Year up until March 31st. Absolutely not. Oh, is this March end on the 30th this year? March, the end of March? Like, Brandon, don't get me wrong. I'm someone that plays fast and loose with the idea of seasons. Like, I think you can leave your Christmas tree up till (laughs) Valentine's Day. But Happy New Year till March is a little bit more in your face. Like, Leaving your tree up is a passive gesture and one that's not like in a direct front affront to people. No one in conversation past the second week of January is expecting a happy new year. Okay. I feel like happy new year gets pushed way too soon right after Christmas. Cause you know, like shops open up, you're starting to hit the streets again and people like hit you with a happy new year. I know we're like, Oh shit. Oh, I guess that's the season we're in, but I think it's fair if it's genuine 
to say Happy New Year in the first quarter. First quarter Happy New Year's are fair game in my book. If you say Happy New Year past January, it's like when you say good morning to someone at two in the afternoon by accident because you're in the airport Ooh. and you've lost track of time. You have to apologize Man. after. Yeah, or ha- uh, have a great flight. You too. Oh, God, I just got chills. Uh, we had a great show for you guys today. Uh, we are back, by the way, uh, Monday through Friday, five days a week here on the podcast now. Uh, we hope everyone enjoyed some of the holiday podcast episodes. Um, some of our great friends stopped by. We appreciate everyone downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing, leaving us that five-star rating, and also checking us out all over the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Did you get anything from our uh, holiday break, quote-unquote? As far as what, like a present, as a as a, re, as a as a as a rejuvenator of of, of anything, I'm asking. Oh yeah, you oh yeah, personally. not okay. not not having to do content five days a week and to have what we did be a little bit more uh, add on to what we had already done. Yeah, batteries are recharged now. The thing that didn't recharge my batteries was the amount of times that I got on a plane in the last couple of weeks. Between like five different stops, including uh, getting to see you down in Jacksonville when we saw Notre Dame and South Carolina playing the Gator Bowl. That was a nice change of pace. Nice change of pace. Also, the fact that the the Notre Dame won a bowl game. uh, Also cool. Against a against a good opponent and against a good quarterback. Like it was a lot of great things happened recently. Honestly, like first off, wow, your team, your favorite team listening to this lost their last game of the season. Couldn't be me. Cannot relate. (laughs) It, it us nine win Gator bowl champions. I don't, it also like nowadays I wasn't sure how it was going to feel because we talked about opt-outs and all these things affecting bowl games. And certainly for Notre Dame and South Carolina, South Carolina's roster, especially at the skill position spots, was absolutely devastated by players opting out, players in the transfer portal. Notre Dame was down the best tight end in school history, the best pass rusher statistically in school history, and the quarterback that had started all their games this season and got back the guy that was injured as the starter at the beginning of the season. So a guy that hadn't played meaningful football since September of this year started off this game, and we got an absolute barn burner between both teams a back and forth scoring bonanza that ends up with Notre Dame on top in this game there were two pick sixes thrown by Tyler Buckner over the course of this game it, it, all that one is of them a hundred yarder Mike one of oh. them a hundred yarder <laughs> It was completely unhinged, and it was a South Carolina home game in that stadium. It was 80-20 South Carolina fans down in Jacksonville, which makes sense proximity-wise. But all that is to say, I wasn't sure how I would feel about bull wins in all these circumstances, knowing all those things. Not going to lie, feels incredible because it feels like an even higher degree of difficulty. You're preparing against players that you have basically not seen all year. You're preparing with players that in very critical, important roles have not played as much meaningful football all year. And so to still go out there and get that result feels like a health of the program win, feels like a coaching win, feels like things that we can spin into some really good offseason propaganda, and I feel great about that. Mike, as we said on this podcast before, now bowl games are glorified spring games mm-hmm. because of the transfer portal. And we beat, we won our spring game. We won the spring game versus South Carolina where they had a, a better roster coming back on paper. And we had people who hadn't caught balls all season long catch touchdown passes. So I think I, I feel a, a little vindicated from it a little bit. And, and walking around, like you said, we were in the host hotel and South Carolina was everywhere. It was like, very seldomly did you run into 
a, a Notre Dame fan. And then South Carolina was so, so sad after the game, Mike. And I told him, I was like, I was like, oh, y'all thought y'all, oh, like, oh, y'all thought you were going to win this game. Like, we always walk into these things. I told them, I said, I always think we're going to lose. So the fact that we won, it's just like really nice. Like, I don't even think of it as like a high in your face victory. It's like, Gosh, that's that's really good. It feels well, and, great. And we were coming off of the Duke's Mayo Bowl earlier in that day that was like 13-13 in the fourth quarter. And I said, yes. I would be comfortable with us losing as long as it meant we actually played an exciting game. And we did. We were one of the good games yes. on the weekend. I will say the one social experiment that I did want to see before we get to even more exciting from this weekend in the world of college football. And we've also got... Um, an NFL game that we want to play uh, from this yes. weekend uh, in honor of the New Year's, New Year, New Me, uh, amongst Cheers. NFL teams. We got our Monday Roses that we'll give out on here. This, that, and the third is back after a two-week hiatus. But the one social experiment I wanted to see was in the hotel lobby of the Hyatt where everyone was staying. It was the official Gator Bowl hotel, at least listed on the team websites. And when you went into the breakfast nook that had the breakfast buffet for everyone to partake in, I wish that they had had a camera on one part of the station because down at the far end, they had oatmeal and they had grits right next to each other. Ooh. And I would have given anything to see the breakdown Ooh. of that choice amongst fans of South Carolina or Notre Dame, because just anecdotally, there wasn't a lot of blue, gold, and green making its way over to the grits. I was a man on an <laughs> island walking towards that spoon. <laughs> and it's sad to see, Mike, as somebody who had grits multiple times this weekend in Jacksonville, it's it's sad to see. Uh, but that, I felt, pre I felt pressure to go eat grits just to represent for Notre Dame a bit. <laughs> it's like this. Oh, did you guys see that? My go junior went for the grits. <laughs> I was like, man, like someone's got to put on so we don't appear this like milky and white, even though we like, right. I shouldn't even say that because it's, it's really not a white, it's like, it's less a white thing and more just like, yes. uh, you know, north and south thing as anything oh, yeah. else. But because I, I don't I, even I say, I say quality of life thing, but you know, what is tomato, tomato? Yeah. I mean, because like grits are fine to me. I'm fat and I've had a lot of food. Like they're great. Right. They're the sum total of what you put in them, but. Uh, had to put had to oh, put on for yeah. the team. Had to put on the for the TL, team. The, the TLC that's it's made with because as someone who is shamed out of putting sugar in my grits uh, when I met Willie Cologne, I, I've I've come to realize that you, there's it's you don't you don't want to you don't want to just dilute it. You got to taste it. It's like the coffee. It's like you with the coffee. Like, ah, okay. black coffee and eating grits without putting a bunch of stuff in it. It it shouldn't need all the butter and salt and sugar. It should have just the right amount in it. You should be able to raw dog your grits. Amen. Amen. Every time. Amen. No, no pullout game. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Um, Brandon, <laughs> the uh, rest of the weekend in college football, normally we save it for Tuesdays, but hot damn. Um, New, Year, New Year's Eve day was a banger. This was unequivocally in the history of the college football playoff, the best day of semifinal games. And I would say – and. This is caked in recency bias, but given the stakes of the day, given the fact that these were both semifinal games, given the fact of who was you know playing in these games, you had what a lot of people were billing as you know TCU and it, not not David versus Goliath because that's wrong and that's dismissive, but it was one of the new kids on the block versus a Michigan team that had really earned a lot of respect this year. Georgia and Ohio State, big brands, incredible NFL talent in that matchup for a shot at the national title and also in a year where 
expansion was the key conversation where we've made this move in 2024 towards 12 teams that's going to get started then and expanding the world the college football playoff this was like the best most timed result that college football could have asked for given Mm. this opportunity because to have two games that were legitimate close contests that came down to the very last drive of the game where each team had an opportunity to win in Michigan trying to come from behind and eventually Ohio State trying to come back from relinquishing a lead in that game and kick a field goal to win it. This was incredible. One of the best days of college football that I can remember with all of that in mind. And especially with all the dollars going into it right now with NIL deals left and right. And obviously all those money getting sucked up by the the top NFL guys to see, you know, like you said, some of the guys that were still playing, obviously the the college semis is different than I'm thinking about the bowl game as a whole, but money is to be made. And I think that there was a great showing of the product on the field for college football. Well, and and again, results-wise, so TCU and Georgia are getting set to play in the national championship. That is not an outcome that many people were expecting. And to have that be the case, to have Ohio State, who came into this as the four seed after losing in the final game of their season against Michigan, not playing in their conference title, go out here and lead Georgia most of that entire game along with Alabama, who was just on the outside looking in, playing very well in their final game against Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, and some other results, I feel like all of this does bode well pointing toward, I would say throw Tennessee in there, putting up a really strong performance in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. All of that bodes very well for teams that would have been involved in a 12-team playoff to say, hey, no, this actually would have been a more competitive field than we'd been used to in quite some time. And that even this Georgia team that's now been the face of college football was on the ropes against an incredibly talented Ohio State team. Maybe that doesn't trickle down to everybody that we'll see as we get set for the games coming up today um, with the Rose Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. But I still think the timing of this was really important given where the sport's about to go. And what had traditionally happened, normally these semifinal games have been blowouts, have been completely unfun in the history. I think there's been two games in the history of the college football playoff that goes back to that 2014 season that have been single-digit contests in the semifinal games. But what were you most surprised about out of the out of what we saw? Because obviously you had picked Michigan – and you also had picked Georgia, but you had picked the lines. And I just I felt like there was just something, something in the air to fade the way they were just talking about. It, it was chalk. Everyone's expecting Michigan and Georgia to be in it. Yeah, well, I that I would say the more the more surprising result was TCU winning it because going back, like I picked TCU in the points, so I figured it was going to be close, and I figured they could make it an interesting game, but. Ohio State was supposed to do this. Like on paper, they had the talent. Now, seeing them max it out was impressive, and seeing the fact that they were almost ready to topple Georgia would have been certainly startling. But Ohio State's exactly in the weight class they're expected to be given the talent that they had. So for TCU to go out there and not only win, but to lead the whole way, to not need a comeback the way that we've seen so often from them this season, I thought was really just an incredible performance but at the same time I've covered that TCU team a bunch this year 
I think it's also great because it's going to force more people to stand up and acknowledge, like, this is who TCU was for the vast majority of the season. Like, yes, they had to make some comebacks in the middle of all this, but it was kind of like we saw in this game where you had a pair of pick sixes, um, big-time plays from Quentin Johnston in the passing game. Um, I mean, them managing to absorb the loss of Kendra Miller, the running back in the beginning of this game, and get their backup running back, Amari DiMercato, to go off for 150 yards. They're just a find-a-way team. But they also do it because they are built well in the trenches, like this notion before the game that Michigan was just going to come in and bully ball them, even with a great offensive line, to me was always kind of misguided because, again, they were big and experienced on the offensive line coming into this season. Up front of the defense, we saw – they're certainly, while their structure, that three three five that got talked about a lot of the broadcast, isn't thought of normally as a run plugger. They had big dudes there, and guys like D. Winters absolutely made it a nightmare for Michigan up front and established a physical tone. So I, I feel like for a lot of people, this is going to be the only way they upgraded the way that they talked about TCU, because even for as much success as they had, I felt like nationally there was still this thought process that they just didn't play the same brand of football as everybody else up front. Yeah, that they and that they weren't good enough, and if that they got on this semi stage, they get embarrassed like Notre Dame has uh, over and over again in the past. But Mike, as someone who we just came off of the World Cup, and there's a bunch of stuff that goes into soccer. We looked at the uh, penalty kicks and uh, the goalies getting in the 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 kickers' heads and things like that. Is there anything to the hit no toad actually fucking people up? Like, I feel like there's something psychological going on when I see it online, when I see it in the stadium, there's like, there's like some poison. Like, it's like, if you lick the back of a toe, like there's some psychedelics that uh, TCU is putting the other team on a little bit too. I don't know if it's just Max Duggan and like how he plays and how it's like very surprising. He can just make the plays left and right, but there's something, there's something else going on. It feels like it's a little bit deeper than X's and O's with TCU. Oh, I mean, so you could Hypnotoad one very real glory to Hypnotoad. Obviously, I have a ton of respect for the psychedelic frog that pops up onto those screens. But it's also kind of like a, a, a caveat into a series or like an avenue into a serious conversation about vibe change around this team. Like this is a five and seven mm. football team last year with all the same parts that got made better because Sonny Dykes has come in and changed the attitude of this program and the mindset. And that's no disrespect to Gary Patterson, who I saw out celebrating and obviously, you know, enjoying TCU doing well. But right. Gary Patterson's tenure was defined by defense and a much stricter regime. Sonny Dykes has come in and it feels like everyone sort of relaxed their shoulders and unhooked their jaw mm -hmm. a little bit around that program to where you can get something like Hypnotoad that becomes a phenomenon and becomes a sensation that's made much more popular. Obviously, winning helps that, but... Sonny coming in and taking a quarterback in Max Duggan, who had been a starter there, who had played a lot of football and started this year on the bench, and along with Garrett Riley and that offense, letting him become unlocked. Having a guy like Quentin Johnston stick around and have the season that he has, Joe Gillespie and the job he's done with that defense. Uh, again, it's not, you know, they weren't, they had, I think, eight transfer players and six who ended up as starters on the defense or as contributors in the two deep on the defense. So it did help them some, but they weren't a USC or Ole Miss portal overhaul team. This was just kind of the reminder that fit matters a lot. And there's a reason that so many players tend to follow coaches to certain places because when you get someone's approach that fits yours and allows the same players to be sort of looked at in a different way, it goes from what we usually see when head coaches take over 
over, which is sometimes this feeling that the players they've inherited are sort of hand-me-downs and they've got to wait around till they get their guys. Sonny Dyke said, no, we, we've got guys here and we believe that we can make the absolute most out of what we have. And we talked about the cupboard wasn't bare by any means, but it took someone looking at them in a different light and then giving them a different environment where guys can latch on and feel comfortable in ways that they maybe weren't before or have a better understanding of their role than they did before because that role's changed given how the defense or offense is structured. Like That stuff all really matters, and it's a huge another one of these things that as we go forward for coaches and programs in their first year, we've talked about NFL coaches meeting their players more halfway coming out of college. You do wonder if this also, you know, com- combine this with the success that Dan Lanning had in year one at Oregon and some other coaches mm-hmm. in their first year that were able to have success. It's an incredible Marcus reminder. Freeman. Yeah, but I, I, I separate Marcus a bit just because he was already there. Like Marcus was in the building there. He was in the, he was a part of that team. He sort of knew what the deal was and had a better sense of that locker room than Sonny Dykes, who the last time he had been at TCU was 2017 as an analyst. Okay. Okay. That's fair. But we, we know, we know how different it is to be a head coach at Notre Dame. And I do think that outside of losing to Marshall at home, he had a pretty remarkable season in my opinion. No, he d- he did. And he's a first-time head coach. Sonny Dykes has been a head right, coach, exactly. albeit one exactly. that was fired by Cal. Like that's the other part of Styles Make Fights Ooh. is Sonny Dykes getting back into an environment where there was the proper investment in this versus what happened at Cal, what he did at SMU before this. He's got plenty of head coaching experience. And so this notion that TCU was ever some charity case or the idea that they didn't belong or the idea that TCU couldn't play for those were all fallacies walking into this. Those were people that just didn't want to watch or pay attention to what TCU had done all season long, who got a very rude awakening when they turned on the tape of this game and watched this thing live. Brandon, this game kicked ass too, by the way. like If you didn't see this game live, what you missed in the third quarter alone in this game, in the third quarter alone, a 44-point third quarter between these two teams, um, a game that included an 18-point lead for TCU early on, two pick sixes, two fumbles, a 76-yard touchdown pass, eight touchdowns in about eight minutes of time, and a 59-yard field goal for the highest combined score in Fiesta Bowl history. And also, wasn't it 1,000 yards of offense total or something something crazy like that? I think so. It was, it was an absolute blur of a game. Like if it was one of those where like, you know, a movie where you laugh too hard at one joke and then you mix, miss the next one, (laughs) how this game went, especially when we got into the third quarter. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Well, I don't want to transition too hard, Mike, but talk about rude awakenings to see that the message board Twitter is calling for Ryan day's job in Ohio state is something. It it is wild because you're right for, it was almost a really rough day for Michigan fans, by the way, with mm, how long oh, Ohio man. State was leading in that game. Because for yes. Michigan in this game, too, like they outgained TCU by 80 yards in this game. Ooh. Like ended up outgaining them. But because, one, the play calling inexplicable for the beginning portion of this game, like how they mismanaged red zone situations getting down there. You had the fort. Now, part of that was officiating. We know and saw the drama around. 
what would have been a touchdown pass by J.J. McCarthy had one, the Mm -hmm. ball been spotted properly on the chains of possession near midfield, and then two, the the long touchdown pass coming off of that turnover been called the touchdown and not marked down at the one, where then Michigan fumbled at the one-yard line and gave the ball back to TCU. You combine that with the Philly – like, we've hit critical mass on the Philly special. Got got to have something different now. It, this 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 should be the moment for every coach out there because we know we'll overweight what happens on the big stage. This should be the one where we look at it and go, all right, maybe teams are kind of expecting the Philly special now, and we should work on a new trick play. It had a great run. 2017 was a long time ago, though, and we probably need to sunset this, make it more of a once-in-a-while thing, unless you are going to have the balls to run it twice. Because no one Ooh. is going to expect that second Philly special. And if you pull oh, it out, yeah. then I would have respect for your commitment to the bit. Ooh, what about a fake punt Philly special? Ooh, see, all right. Now, now we're, we're cooking talking. with now we're cooking with gas. If you change the top okay. the context, then I'm with you on that one. Ooh. But yeah, if Michigan would have called every play the way they called their plays after turnovers, which were absolute dagger bombs they would have won this game pretty handily here. But the fact that there wasn't a designed run for J.J. McCarthy until the third quarter of this game was wild to me. The TCU secondary showed up in ways that we expected and talked about on this podcast. They had good players there. Bud Clark was the name I didn't mention who had a monster game for TCU. And so just some things there that as Michigan settled into themselves, they just couldn't overcome the early hole they put themselves in with a couple of defensive scores by TCU and letting that offense get off to a really hot start in the first quarter. So, um, but yes, almost a very bad day for Michigan fans because after that loss where now all of a sudden, and this sucked for me to hear and for you to hear was people calling Michigan, the new Notre Dame in the college football playoff, which wow, yeah, stings don't really like the way that feels, but have to own it. How dare you? Um, they almost then had to turn around and watch the Ohio State team that they beat in the game and thought they had exercised the demons with punch ticket to the national championship because, uh, damn, did C.J. Stroud look like him. Whew. Brandon. It's, he looked like he, him, all of them. Himothy. Yes. And, and Stetson Bennett looked like his name was Stetson. Yes, there was there was three there was three quarters of Stetson and then a fourth quarter of SB four. Yes, absolutely, like absolutely. that was Captain America pre and then post Super oh, Serum. Oh my gosh, man, he woke up a, a young king from the you know what I mean, like bro. It, that game, that game was absolutely crazy. So, and if you somehow missed the nightcap, that by the way, speaking of New Year's. Ended when the ball dropped, Brandon. Yes. Kirby Smart, I, I called a t- Kirby Smart called a timeout to ice the kicker, Noah Ruggles, at the end of that game, who had a 50-yard chance to come back. And after Ohio State had relinquished the lead in the fourth quarter, had the chance to come back and miss it before ultimately going wide left with three seconds left. If you timed it up, was almost perfectly in sync with the ball dropping at midnight. It, it, isn't it beautiful that, like, football – end up synchronizing with the new year it, you know what for a lot of people that dispute having that game played on new year's eve day the fact that you got that listen college football fans were always going to watch i'm not sure what the ratings are going to look like and how that's going to be affected by the fact that it was on technically a holiday come on now. but it was it was pretty cool like i talked to plenty of people that were like yeah my family wanted me to come watch the ball drop and i'm like guys this is a little more important than just the start of a new year <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm going to say RIP to Dick Clark, but the last time he did a show is the last time everybody was sitting there watching the TV, waiting for the ball to drop. Like we're, we're a little bit past that now as a society. I will say the interesting part about this game is how eerily similar it was to Georgia and Alabama in the national championship last year, where Alabama had beaten Georgia in the SEC title. They met again in the national title, and part of that game just ended up being the war of attrition down the set, down the home stretch of the season. Alabama mm-hmm. dealt with a bunch of injuries. I think Jamison Williams is the one that ended up getting hurt in that game. Um, in the national title, which is why we didn't see him on the field until late this year for the Detroit Lions, who picked him up still. In this game for Ohio State, you came into the game with a banged-up backfield. No Travion Henderson. Mayan Williams was also limited, so you were kind of making you know chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what in the running back room. And then midway through this game, Marvin Harrison Jr., who had been a monster, left late in the third quarter after taking a hit to the head in the end zone. And honestly, that was incredibly reassuring for me to see the fact that they did take – in a meaning – in this kind of game, in that kind of environment – took his helmet away from him after a head injury and didn't let him go back in because the reporting we heard on the sidelines said Marvin Harrison Jr. was telling his teammates, I'm fine, I'm good to go. And they were like, no, you are not, based on whatever concussion test they gave him inside that tent and did not give the player back his helmet and did not let him back on a field in a game, Brandon, where you know it would have been very easy for everyone involved to say, oh, yeah, no, he was fine and fudge and get him back out there because he was balling balling on everybody and you wanted to win this game. And there's no targeting penalty on the play, yep. right? Like, I think there's a lot of things that go along with it. But I think, uh, obviously, we analyze when football teams make the right decisions, right? Like, this is just as simple as that. It's like, yeah. he shouldn't have been playing and he was not allowed to play in the story. But uh, I, I do think it's it's good to see that, especially with all the eyes on the game at that point in time, like, let, let's, let's put this player's health and safety at a premium and keep him off the field. Yeah, it was 100% the right move, but it did, listen, it was part of what had an effect on the outcome of this game. Now, he was over 100 yards in this game. Emeka Ebka was also over 100 yards in this game. We know they were already going to be without Jackson Smith Jigba, who wasn't with them for the majority of the year. Um, Cade Stover, their great tight end, left that game early on with a back injury and was actually taken to the hospital uh, for that, which it sounded like thankfully he was all right. But all of a sudden you looked around and this Ohio State offense by the end of this game was a shell of itself outside of C.J. Stroud at, at quarterback who played his best game of the season, like big-time money game for him. Went out and absolutely balled overall in this game. 23 of 34, 348 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. And Brandon, the biggest difference in the game, career-high 66 yards rushing on the ground. We had not seen C.J. Stroud affect the game like that, both moving around to buy time in the passing game, but also just being a part in a couple of spots of actual designed runs and the difference that made against this Georgia team that we had talked about. And I talked to Richard Johnson from Split Zone Duo on a different show. We had seen Georgia even last year against against Alabama's big-time passing attack struggle to stay with some of those guys down the field, and it was the same story. Those guys were wanting butt-naked open at certain points in that game because Ohio State was able to protect C.J. Stroud, but also because he was able to buy time in the pocket against the Georgia pass rush that's not necessarily known for getting to the quarterback. 
Yeah, the thing I thought of watching him was Justin Fields' last game mm-hmm. with Ohio State. It's just in a sense of a player making money for themselves in a losing effort uh, and, and just showing just how good they are against a formidable opponent. Yeah, he's uh, we've said on this podcast, the conversation around the number one pick is going to get spicy. Bryce Young also had a really strong last showing of his career against Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, but because of his size, I think it's going to open it up for someone like C.J. Stroud in that moment to have that kind of game against that opponent to try and make something happen. All credit to Stetson Bennett and Georgia in the fourth quarter, though. They started um, heating him up a little more in the fourth quarter. Did they C.J. Stroud? They blitzed him on 8 of 14 dropbacks. He was 2 of 6 for 17 yards and sacked once, according to ESPN stats and info. But uh, Stetson Bennett balled out in the fourth quarter, uh, 4 for 4, 152 yards, and two touchdown passes um, uh, on passes of 15 or more yards in that quarter alone. So they just burned the boats and said, we're going to go bombs away and see what happens. And it worked out very well for them. All credit to, like, that's... That's the difference of a championship team that has been there before and been through the shit last year to not flinch in a moment like that. They cited the Missouri game this year where they were down a couple of scores in that game. But to walk into the fourth quarter of a game like this against a team that talented, uh, down 14 points and find a way to come back like that and have to hold on and watch that field goal sail left to get to the back to our chance to defend your title, that's, that's the difference. When we played in the title game against Alabama, I said when we didn't land the first couple of blows and things started to go bad, you felt quicksand on our sideline. You felt people Mm -hmm. were all of a sudden the moment started to get a little big, whereas the team across from us was defending their title and had been on this stage plenty before and was going to be able to absorb a couple of misses in addition to being very talented. Brandon, that being said, I want you to close your eyes for a second and imagine, Ooh. if you will, the scenario that I'm about to describe to you. All right. Okay. Don't touch me while my eyes are closed. All right. I would say I'm not, this isn't going to be like a tickle situation or anything like that, but just for the benefit of the exercise here, I think it's interest. I think it's interesting to consider this. If you close your eyes and look at the situation laid out in front of us, heading into the national championship, Tell me if this sounds familiar at all. A team that was unranked to start the season, won a bunch of insane close call games, had some really big time comebacks, had a great unit that was led by the Heisman runner-up, and is now getting set to play the defending champion from the SEC who's coming off an absolute classic of a game in the game prior. Is that... 2022 TCU or 2012 Notre Dame? Well, my mind went to 2012 Notre Dame, led by you, Manti Teo, and Tyler Eifert. <laughs> Brandon, it, it, it just, to me, the similarities were staggering. Like, we were a defensive team that year. Manti was the Heisman runner up to Johnny Manziel. Our defense was one of the tops in the country all year long. We had a bunch of insane games, including a comeback similar to what TCU had against Baylor in our double overtime win against Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, hell, you could even go to like the end of the season, like big-time senior day blowout over Iowa State for them, big-time senior day blowout over Wake Forest for us, catapulting into a game against – Georgia is getting set to be 
have a chance to be the first team to go back to back since 2011 and 2012 Alabama, the team that we were walking into the jaws of there, who in that year came off of a monster SEC championship game against Georgia that ended with Georgia missing a pass on the five yard line of that game that could have sent them potentially to the national championship to face us and instead ended up being Alabama. So it, it, all across the board, the similarities are similar, and the way people are treating this is also similar. Georgia has opened up as a 13.5-point favorite at DraftKings Sportsbook in the national title game. Ooh, I wish I could have seen that line back in the day for Alabama against Notre Dame. Probably something similar. Probably 18 at that point. So I um, I believe looking back at it, Georgia, Georgia opens as a 13-point favorite or a 13.5-point favorite. Um, for ESPN, they use a different book, but for them, it was the largest spread for any college football playoff or BCS championship game. Miami was a 12 point favorite over Ohio state in the 2002 BCS game. So we weren't even this, this big of a dog in this game. Surprising. I I think part of that is also the brand name helping it too. Like we had been number one for a majority for a lot of the end of that season. So it was a little bit different than a TCU team that was, you know, we were worried about their place potentially in the playoff until the last couple of weeks of this season. Um, so, yeah, listen, going to be an uphill battle because, uh, again, TCU is stretching and testing everything we've thought about star rankings and what you need as far as talent acquisition to succeed in the top end of the sport. It's not saying that these guys aren't talented. It's just saying that on paper, it's not the same as these teams we see. Shout out to Bud Elliott over at 24-7. The blue chip ratio, this idea you need a certain amount of your roster and uh, a certain window of recruiting time to be comprised of four and five star players in order to be able to actually go and make this happen is being tested by this TCU team. Am I confident in them being able to slay this Georgia giant? No, not necessarily, because I don't think they can stress them, even with how good their offense is, in the same way as a C.J. Stroud in Ohio State. But I would hope by this point we're done with the idea, or anyone has waved goodbye to the idea, that TCU didn't belong or was going to be in over their heads. Like TCU always belonged. They had always earned this. And I'm excited to see all that purple out here in Los Angeles soon. Well, the reason why I thought that they it's not didn't belong but didn't have a chance as much is because of how college football teams are traditionally made and assembled. And it's not just the the blue chips uh, of four stars and five stars on your team, which Georgia has plenty of. I'm talking about the foundation of the head coach and how long they've been there. And like Sonny Dykes being a first-time head coach at TCU. Obviously, we talked about he's not a first-time head coach, but at TCU. And then finding the national championship game in that first year, I do think that this is more attributed to whatever NIL and the portal has brought to the game. I do think this is a, and obviously that that team isn't built that same way, but I think the possibilities of, of just coming in and changing the mindset of an entire program could lead you there. Obviously having a, a Heisman candidate in Max Duggan at quarterback position helps. But outside of that, like, I think that was like, an aberration for college football in the past, and now it's a reality. Yeah, I mean, again, look no further than USC. That was one Caleb Williams hamstring from making their playoff bid a lot more of a serious conversation after just one season with the overhaul of talent there. So it is possible. Congratulations to TCU and Georgia. Fired up. We'll have plenty more on this game as we go along here this week leading up to it. That game coming up next Monday on the 9th, but... 
I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Brandon, uh, let's turn our eyes to the NFL. Um, very right. exciting weekend here. Week 17, which used to be the last week of the season, and it is now just the penultimate week of the season. It's the start of 2023. And results-wise and trends-wise at the end of the season, there's a lot of people trying to glow up. So you had the idea, since everyone goes in uh, with the new year, new me mentality, which are you? we talked about resolutions on here. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with using the new year as a clean slate, even if it's arbitrary, because I feel like most of the things that we put stock into are arbitrary. Like I talk about award shows all the time. They only matter because we tell people that they matter. And because we've agreed yes. that they matter for a long time. We've agreed that the dollar matters. Like, there's all these things that we do like that. <laughs> and so if you need an arbitrary start to something new you're going to do, I don't have a problem with that. Yes, Mike. I, I think turning over a new leaf is good and obviously a fresh start. But resolutions are uh, infamously too large to a bigger, bigger bite than we can chew, uh, uh, eyes bigger than our stomach. Ariana Huffington uh, posted to remember to to start small. If you don't work out at all, don't say I'm going to work out three times a week. Uh, start saying I'm going to I'm going to walk for ten days. I'm going to walk for ten minutes every day in January. So just like starting a little, a little, a little change. You know, I was, it's funny. I was in, on like a larger. I was talking to our buddy Trevor Robinson about that about uh, dieting, and he's like, that's the biggest mistake people make with like their calorie count. And he's like, you'd look at what you're taking and then just take like 500 calories off of that. Or if you're trying to gain weight, add to it. Like you don't want to make the change so stark that you get dismayed when the results don't come super fast. So all that, all that is to say is that yes, resolutions can be hard and sometimes they're not sustainable and sometimes that we don't buy them. So we're going to take a look at uh, six scenarios in the NFL and try and figure out if we buy the new year, new me for these teams uh, and what they're trying to pull off here. So Brandon, let's start near the top of the pack since nobody this weekend except this team uh, appeared to want to be involved in the one seed conversation for the NFC playoffs. And somehow the 49ers are still in the mix for that uh, with some scenarios going towards week 18. The Niners win a close one in overtime against the Las Vegas Raiders. Once again, Brock Purdy, uh, in part uh, responsible with some pretty impressive stuff, especially late in this game. So, Brandon, uh, new year, new me for the 49ers. Do we we now officially trust Brock Purdy to be able to lead them to a Super Bowl? Absolutely, Mike, because he's done it nasty and he's done it pretty. And we've seen the best we've seen of Brock Purdy, speaking of pretty, but that's good enough. And especially good enough for this 49ers team. We've talked a lot about uh, 
what's his name? Kyle Shanahan and him as a coach and, you know, him being perfect for quarterbacks that are limited. Well, I say he's perfect for quarterbacks that are capable. And Brock Purdy is that. Jimmy Garoppolo is that. I'm expecting Trey Lance to be that once he gets back in OTAs next season. But I love the 49ers, second best team in the NFL right now. Behind who? I'm still giving it to the Eagles. I'm still giving it to the Eagles. Not, uh, It's not Jalen Hurts led. It's more team and attitude led. Like, I still believe in that team. I feel like whatever Jalen Hurts is selling, the team is buying and trying to exude themselves. So, And also, A.J. Brown is a monster. And, and, J- and Jalen Hurts will be back because he heals faster. I don't know if you've heard of that as well. But Nick Sirianni always talks about how Jalen Hurts just heals faster than most humans. So, yeah, I, I like the Eagles first and then the 49ers second. I think I'd still have the Chiefs second just off, like, respect for – I said the, of the oh. NFC. Oh, I thought you said the uh, yeah. NFL. All right. NF- no, 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 NFC, no. I agree with you on that order. Um, Brandon, I, I do. And I think part of it is, one – this game against the Vegas Raiders, hats off to them and the job that Jared Stidham did in this game. His first start, yeah. in his, he's been in the NFL for four years, uh, quarterback out of Auburn by way of Baylor, first start in his career and was unconscious in this game. Ooh. Basically, he was the, remember that Patrick Mahomes meme, like, fuck it, Tyreek's down there somewhere? This game was, yes. fuck it, Devontae's down there somewhere. And it worked. Yeah. And I give him credit because it's the same formula we said for Brock Purdy, which is, hey, you got all these good weapons. Just put it in range, and they're going to make it happen. And whether it was Darren Waller or Devontae Adams or anyone else, those guys stepped up and made plays, but he got the ball there. And Josh McDaniels, I don't know if he's been saving the good plays for once Derek Carr was out of the picture. This is the first game since they sat Derek Carr down. But the beginning of that game was a tour de force of how to call offense against a team as ferocious on defense as the 49ers, right? For a team that wants to get upfield and get after you with all those guys, gap penetrators, fast flow linebackers, to hit them with screens, misdirection plays, move the pocket plays early on, all the things that are on the bingo card of playing a defense like theirs, Las Vegas Mm. hit them and they hit them often early and I think it made a huge difference. This team allowed zero sacks to that defense. Zero sacks to the fucking 49ers defense. That's insane. Yeah, and it's it's a, honestly some a breath of life for the Raiders. Like for Deont- Devontae Adams, whose best friend just got benched, who's playing quarterback, why he went over there. For him to have the game he had to break the all the record for regular season receptions for a uh, or reception yards for a Raider, like that that's important moving forward because now Josh McDaniels, all the shit I was talking about him when it comes to uh, last week, when it comes to benching Derek Carr and him taking some blame for Derek Carr's production. I don't know, Mike. Looks like <laughs> the capable quarterback was there. Like, I, like to see Jared Stidham be outside of the pocket and reset his feet before launching a ball. I was like, oh, I haven't seen Derek Carr do that. I, I again, I'm, I'm I'm not out in the conspiracy that maybe that Josh McDaniels is pulling punches to say, all right, man, listen, it's not me. We can go into next year. <laughs> it just was too good, too quick. But um, Brock Purdy, uh, like you mentioned, one ugly in the fourth quarter. And, and again, I think he's dropped into an offense that does not ask him to do too much. The structure in this offense means you can go low and slow and have success. There were critical moments, especially when the Raiders tried to heat them up late, where Kyle Shanahan called the shit out of these plays. Uh, mm-hmm. Jet screen uh, on the outside to um, Ray Ray McLeod 
You had the screen to Christian McCaffrey off the all-up blitz look at the end that was an absolute nail in the coffin for them. Um, but Brock Purdy uh, had played a total of nine snaps with the 49ers while trailing at any point in the five games that he's been the starter, and all nine of those had come when he entered for Jimmy Garoppolo in his first appearance when he got went down during Miami. So he managed to go into this game and find a way to do something that he hadn't done yet as a player, which you're just, you know... He's behind in the experience quotient of things, right? He For all the right. people that were talking about him ability-wise versus Jimmy Garoppolo, I think in the postseason some of that gets trumped by the experience of having been through situations and being versatile enough to overcome what gets thrown at you when the game plans are a little bit more specific and the intensity gets ratcheted up. I think Brock Purdy being able to stack as many experiences as he can in the meantime now and having comeback fourth quarter win in overtime be one of those is really important for a team that has the best defense in football and an offense that is one of the most versatile and well-called in football. Listen, we've seen quarterbacks come in and take over and do well, right? Dak Prescott, like there's there's a lot of the long list of quarterbacks to do this, but to see someone adjust and like I don't want to go to like Matt Castle uh Patriots territory but like I can go to Jimmy G territory where what we saw from Jimmy G with the Patriots made it so that at least Kyle Shanahan was like yeah I can do something with that guy right like Brock Purdy being this is just a NFL research uh, tweet Brock Purdy has won each of his first four NFL starts becoming the fourth rookie quarterback to do so since stats have been tracked in 1950 uh just one of the Two, two of the names in that in that class are Ben Roethlisberger in 2004 and Phil Sims in 1979. So let's not act like it's just uh, 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 aberration that it's happening right now. I think Brock Purdy is the guy for the 49ers and could be the guy to lead them to a Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it's an incredible testament to again coaching to uh, coaching and scouting to have a player that you took in this but like you're ta- when you're drafting guys as late as you were there you're drafting them on a flyer like right. even for a right. quarterback oh, it's like hey we like a couple of these things this is where the more productive college players who don't fit the normal physical profile for NFL teams tend to fall like you see a lot of good guys that college football fans tend to love end up down here who just don't have the stat- like the physical profile yes but i feel like it's more realistic that the draft as a whole is a flyer. Like the, the first round. Well, yeah, the draft is obviously the end up being. Yeah. But yeah, I mean like at this range, it's like, Hey, one scout likes him and he was able to just get his, get up on the table and bang hard enough for him. But it was a player that we talked about had fits from the offense that he ran in college. That was a multi-year starter at Iowa state and it's now paying off for them there. And so I think based on what you've seen for the last five games, based on how banged up the landscape is in the uh, NFC near the top. And we can certainly talk about that with some of the teams. It gives them a great opportunity, mostly because that defense is a weaponized monster. And I think this last game where they weren't able to get to the quarterback and where a rookie quarterback was able to have a ton of success is an outlier and not predictive of things to come. Uh, Brandon, new year, new me. Uh, speaking of the top of the NFC, the Eagles, uh, Minshew Mania was called off in a 20 to 10 loss to the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> uh, do we believe that the injuries for Philadelphia, both at quarterback with Jalen Hurts, who 
We will see what his status is for week 18 as now the one seed is up for grabs and the Eagles do need a win in this final game of the regular season in order to secure that first round by um, the injuries to Jalen Hurts to their right tackle Lane Johnson, who had a core muscle injury that kept him out this last week are going to be too much for this team to overcome and affect their Super Bowl dreams. Yes and no. But I'm leaning more towards no. I'm, I believe, like I said before, I believe in this team. I believe the Jalen Hurts of this team. I believe the the belief in Philly. I think I think they're ready, but they're not as they were a juggernaut before. They were like no question the best team in the NFL, and the fact that they're not that is still formidable for the rest of the uh, the field, if you will. They are, but this definitely has me worried. Like, there's absolutely still a Super Bowl contender, but like you said, this has opened the door for a lot more because, at one, I think it's good. This is kind of a Jalen Hurts appreciation tweet where you see clearly how much that offense is affected by his presence on the field. We've mentioned run and pass, which is huge for a team that's yeah. built the way they are because the defense still went out and did their thing. They sacked the new, uh, they sacked new Orleans seven times in this game. It had been the same Philly defense that we had seen, which struggled a little bit on the ground to stop the run. Um, but managed to get after the quarterback in an overwhelming fashion. And so a lot of my opinion on them heading into the postseason is going to be based on what we see is Jalen Hurts available on the field and what does he look like when he gets there? Because clearly that player who's been in the MVP conversation was missed sorely uh, as much as I wanted to see Gardner Minshew and his uh, jorts manage to make that happen. Well, I'll say this, Mike. I believe in the team with the amazing quarterback more than I believe in the team that plays great complimentary football consistently, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Like I, you can't, I can't trust, I'm not even going to talk about my Ravens right now because you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. But there's a lot of teams out there that are playing really great when everyone plays great, but it's, it's that Jalen hurts difference that I'm, I'm buying into. You realize that does fly in the face of your love for the 49ers. It's the I do. it is the worry for that team going into the postseason. That's why we talked about Brock. Yeah, damn, that's my one and two. I know, and listen, deservedly because the rest of those team, and deservedly because of this, Brandon. Uh, new year, new me. Can you have twelve wins and be a fraud? Ooh. Because the Minnesota Vikings are nearing that territory now. I've heard people say that you can tell me that they didn't have anything to play for or anything in that range. Listen, they got their asses whooped on the road, outdoors. They looked like a dome team that got taken out in some weather and got worn the F out by a Green Bay Packers team that all of a sudden may have found something here. But Brandon, I I would say this, like, I do not have any trust in the Vikings for the postseason. Like, I won't call them frauds. They won 12 games this season. You've got to do things right to get to that point. But we talked all the way as they were underdogs against Dallas before getting throttled on Thanksgiving. And then, you know, underdogs and others, um, a couple other circumstances this year that looked like head scratchers until you peeked under the surface and surface and saw they had an unsustainable turnover rate, their penalty luck, all these things, field position, hidden yardage areas of the game that aren't predictors for success going forward were areas where they failed. And the defense just not being good this season, opposite an offense that's got, Kirk Cousins, who's a very good quarterback, and Justin Jefferson, who's a great wide receiver, 
that was an unsustainable formula for them, and they're paying for it down the stretch against the quality opponents that they face. So I have no trust in this team as far as their ability to win a Super Bowl or have any top-end success in the postseason. And I think this is not like a new year, new set of problems this weekend. This is the stuff that we were seeing from the Vikings all year long in critical moments. Yeah, the fact that they've, uh, what is it, they've given up 19 points more than they've scored this season is is one of the like big glaring things for them, Mike. But I was disappointed to see just how how much the Packers had their number. And obviously it's one of those Aaron Rodgers, I own you moments, in my opinion, when it comes for the Bears. Like I think uh, to bring it back to what I was talking about for the NFC and, and the Eagles, the Packers are a team that is clearly has that quarterback that is otherworldly when he wants to be, and they made splash plays on offense and defense. And that's why it was it's such a, a, a um, lopsided affair. But the Vikings do look like frauds, especially in December. And now that we're in January, they look even worse. Like, I, I, I feel bad, especially since Justin Jefferson is one of the main causes are leaders of their offense and, and, and uh, Kirk Cousins is doing his best to feed it to those, those weapons. But Justin Jefferson was taken out of this game completely, completely. It was, that was, that was jarring in this game. Kirk Cousins had three interceptions this game. This was, this was the bad Kirk game that a lot of people are going to point to. I don't think Kirk has been the problem overwhelmingly this season as they have struggled at underdogs for a while now. Or, uh, yeah, as underdogs for a while. But Kirk Cousins has played very good football. I think some of the MVP conversations that people wanted to have for him were vastly overstated and probably doing a bit too much, but optimistic. This this last game we saw with Justin Jefferson neutralized certainly changed that offense, and Kirk Cousins chose a bad time to have his probably worst game of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't reasonably expect anything from the Vikings in the postseason based on what we've seen. In, I get great record in one-score games, but when they've been up against teams that are better, that are better than them on paper, it's gone horrifically. Um, Brandon. Uh, let's stick with the team that throttled them. The Green Bay Packers, new year, new me. Um, who would you rather see in the playoffs? Geno Smith Seahawks or Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? Because this final weekend of the regular season in week 18, the Packers are the only team that controls their own destiny. I believe it's love it. They, they, right. It's, they win against the Lions. They're the only team. Yeah, they're the only team that is in a win and in the playoff situation. Everyone else needs teams to lose or win uh, to get there. Just I can say, so just to clean that up in the NFC, it is the Seahawks, the Packers, and the Lions. The Packers and the Lions play that weekend. Green Bay wins and they're in. Seattle needs to win and then have the Green Bay Packers lose to the uh, lose or tie to the Lions, and the Lions need to beat the Packers and have the Seahawks tie or lose in their final game. Also. Ooh. Um, I I believe there. Uh, someone double check me and tell me if I'm wrong. I th- nope, you sound right because I've been watching Steve Kornacki or whatever his name is on NBC break down the playoff situation, and you uh, echoed him perfectly. Here's my situation. No, let me answer your question. Do I want to see the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs or Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks? I'm like Roger Goodell. Like, let's fill the seats, baby. Like, come on now, Packers. 
all day long. The only team that has the owners littered around the nation. Yes, I want the Packers in the playoffs as much as I want the Cowboys in the playoffs, but I believe in the Packers way much, way more than I believe in the Cowboys. I hate that all it took, like the Packers, the Packers defense is like dating a fuckboy where all Ooh, it took yes. was one nice thing done for me to fall yep. right back head over heels in love. All I needed was apparently one game of that defense looking like the unit I thought they could be at the start of the year to go, oh man, you know what? They could be a little bit of a problem in the postseason. We knew the offense was coming along and these receivers are developing, but if Jair Alexander is going to lock them up like that, if that defensive front is going to be able to go and slow them down and get after Kirk like that, all of a sudden we might be talking. If Kenny Clark goes in there and makes a strip sack, that made me want to be a defensive lineman all over again. Like <laughs> it, it, it was, it was beautiful to see Mike and I and I hear you. It's like, ooh, he came with the edible arrangements and a box of chocolates, so I didn't have to do the same thing in different forms. <laughs> <laughs> it's that fine line difference between a good morning and a you up text that all of a sudden oh, has just made things a complete game changer. Honestly, honestly, and not to get it too weird, and I don't want to get into the horniness that was in November, but Aaron Rodgers looked like he just got done with some great sex in that post game con- like conversation he had. He was looking too grinny. It just looked he had rosacea. It just it was it was disgusting to see, but it's exactly where we thought he ended up being. When I saw Aaron Rodgers get down and play the bass in one of their touchdown celebrations, I was like, oh man, they're like we're getting the good ayahuasca now. Yes. Yes, the vi- the vibe. Yes, yeah. He's purged the poison, and now the vibes appear to be back in a more sustainable place. It's honestly just whoever Aaron wants to blame. If he if he's in the mood to blame uh, Matt Lafleur for something, he makes dumb plays on the field. When he wants to just pat himself on the back for all, all how great he is, he goes out there and and runs for a touchdown when he's supposed to pass for. Like we haven't seen him do that since 2017. The pump fake for the rushing touchdown. It did all of it felt like what we expected all along, and that's the yes. problem. Is oh wow, this team did play behind its offensive line, use its running backs as a weapon. The things that we've been at, they just did the things again, the tremendously low standard for a team that we thought had a bunch of talent of do the things that we all thought would be successful for you this season with young receivers. Ground game, bring them along and rely on that defense. The defense finally showed up. Now, I'd be a fool to think that this is going to be an each and every week thing, but I'm kind of with you. The Seahawks got a good win this weekend um, against the Jets. They eliminated the Jets from playoff contention. Geno Smith's been a great story, but I can't help it. I'm with you as we are getting ready to say bye to this older generation of quarterbacks. There's part of me that's just ready for one last nostalgia tour to see if Aaron can do and again we've got built up time under task with him we've seen him do it in the postseason and so now all of a sudden I'm allowed to believe again even though if it's a bad idea um Brandon last couple here um new year new me Giants broke the postseason drought make the postseason Ooh. for the first time since 2016 do you think they can actually win a playoff game it depends on where they land Mike it depends on where they land but I do believe in them because I'm thinking about, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in them. I, I listen. I love their players. <laughs> I tried, I tried so hard to talk myself into it, but I don't believe in them. I love them, but I don't believe in them. So this gets interesting. If the current playoff seating holds, it looks like they would play the Vikings 
in the uh, on Wild Card Week. Okay. Or, um, yeah. I love, oh no, I, I believe in the man. Love them if that's the case. <laughs> oh man, that would be. That would be something. Like yeah, because right, like somebody's in your ear. Yeah, no, because I was just, no, I was pulling up the NFC playoff standings, and yeah, right now we've talked about it. Dallas would end up playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, New York would play Minnesota, and Seattle would play San Francisco. So mm. that Vikings game, I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's that's about that's a, that's a that's that's one of those uh, one and a half lines uh either way I, I i don't i i think the giants are better okay i can't say that no yeah Ugh. no you can't you can't say that but they can win that game i think yeah, i think let's put, i don't look at that and say it's not winnable i would pick the vikings but yes the giants are absolutely capable of winning a game in that setting here this was the best daniel jones that we had seen in quite a while too um yes. in this game ended up with uh, about 91 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns in a game where he went over 700 yards on the season. Design carries for him, scramble carries in there. Brandon, I still, for the Daniel Jones after the season conversation, because they didn't pick up his rookie op, his fifth year option as a rookie. And so now it's going to be about do you want to bring him back on a long term deal? I'm not bringing him back on a big deal. Like he's not getting anywhere close to a market center. I'm not comfortable with that. If you wanted to sign into like a Blake Bortles X deal as like a transition contract deal from his time with the Jags, I could maybe yeah. see you justifying that in the name of that or like playing the franchise tag game, something along the lines of that. Um, so it would have to be at the right like, price if you wanted to have him back, because I still think that this team is much more about what they do in the running game, defense being stout up front, Brian Dable and the job that he's done coaching. I know, and like, listen, we've talked to Kyle Rudolph on this podcast, who played with Daniel Jones, who said he believes in Daniel Jones and thinks that that guy's yeah. a really good quarterback. I just don't think I see it except for the right price for them. Okay, the right price is interesting, Mike, because I feel like in that division – for the commanders, they they could be in the in the, the running for something like that. But I just don't know what team is is fat and happy enough to have a Daniel Jones sitting on the bench and as confident enough in their defense to have him starting and then be a Super Bowl contending team. Like it's very interesting, and that's why I like about it. But I I do trust Daniel Jones. As he gets older, Mike, let's not forget of how young he is in this league right now. He can get even better. He can, but he's he's in that weird middle. He's in that weird middle ground development wise, where he's been around for so long that you're having to rewire a lot in year one. And for the Giants and for Brian Dable, I just you know I'd be curious if it makes sense for them. Brian Dable clearly seems to like him. He clearly seems to have the support of a lot of his players. I saw the get someone that looks at you the way Brian Dable looks at Daniel Jones memes flying up yesterday. So <laughs> it's it's all there. Maybe I'm operating on dated software. He did get the ball out on time. They talked about him getting the ball out quick, how much that affects the way that he prepares, all that stuff. It just still doesn't good, seem man. like a quarterback that's going to go out there and do the thing that we talked about, which if you're the Giants in this spot, you've gotten good young talent at other areas along your roster. Joe Shane already has done a good job. These two guys coming over from Buffalo and what they're trying to do. I'm just wondering if the ceiling you're looking for, again, knowing you're going to you know, I just wonder if the ceiling you're looking for is possible with Daniel Jones under center. And I still don't I think okay. I've seen enough to believe that that's the case. I, I think, I think, I think the saints would, 
would kill somebody in the bayou for, for Daniel Jones. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Uh, Brandon, uh, in no way speaking of the Bayou, there's no transition here. That is New Year, New Me. It's time to start off 2023 with our first batch of wonderful roses. Uh, we are Ooh. still a show that believes in the bachelor principle of using flowers uh, to show that we are serious about mm-hmm. someone performing very well in this reality dating game show that is sports. Um, we give out two a week each. Uh, Brandon, I want to start this off and give out my first rose to the Big Hat Company because I did not expect <laughs> them to be a thing as long as they have been a thing. When Brian Robinson from the Commanders went out there and put on for one of his buddies that was starting this company that made oversized hats, I thought this would be a fun gag gift for the holiday season and be over. It has carried into the new year. You had Mike Loxley, the head coach of Maryland, who won the Duke's Mayo Bowl, using that hat to offset the mayo that was getting dumped on him, which kind of felt like cheating, but will allow it for the big hat principle. And then Jair Alexander, who to your point, went out and put the absolute cuffs on Justin Jefferson, talked his shit in the first quarter, deflected or broke up a pass on Justin Jefferson, and hit the gritty right in his face. The ult- There is no confidence in the world like defensive back confidence. It is a different breed of belief that these young men have in themselves. Yes, true. That mixed with the light skin confidence of Jair Alexander, mixed with the green eyes confidence that he has. Like he is a a Tour de France uh, when it comes to confidence in in the backfield. <laughs> I said France, but you know what I mean, force. But yes, yes, I, I I did think that was that was egregious and disrespectful in a way that only a DB can come up with. And he did it in the first quarter. He called his shot and then nailed it for the rest of the game and was physical with Justin Jefferson and completely frustrated and took him out of that game and deserves a ton of credit for it. So Big Hat Energy uh, shouts out to both of them and what it brought for them. By the way, Brandon, I thought of you. I finally saw Glass Onion, the Knives Out movie, and they talked about all the malaprops and misappropriated words in that movie, and I thought of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I thought of myself. I thought it. I was like, God damn, I sound stupid all the time. No, you don't sound stupid. It's endearing. Well, yeah, you know, I'm trying. It's endearing because you're not a heartless billionaire trying to control everyone on a weird (laughs) island. There's levels to this shit. Who's your rose go to, Brandon? Uh, what was the first one? Inebriate, uh, uh, inner, oh, uh, oh, in, in breathe this. Can we in breathe <laughs> this moment? Let's abbreviate this moment. When that came up, Michelle was like, I was thinking about this, this whole movie. I was like, why did he say, what is that? She's such a words person and she married me. Um, okay. My first rose goes to Mike Tomlin, the person who mm. stole 
the heart out of my chest as a Ravens fan on Sunday Night Football. Yet again, Mike, as someone from Louisville, Kentucky, who only really got a chance to see my Ravens play when they played the Cincinnati Bengals or the Colts or they played on a primetime game, Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football. So these games mean a lot to me. Obviously, a lot of injuries left and right for the Ravens. I'm not going to make any excuses because this rose is for Mike Tomlin. In a season where I talked to Willie Colon about him getting ready to prepare to have his first losing season that he's ever had, he refuses and sits at eight and eight on the season after beating the Ravens last night, Mike. And 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 is one win away from making it to the playoffs if the Browns don't spoil that for him, which they are in the position of doing since they put somebody else off of the playoffs uh, in Week 17. But I got to give my respect to Mike Tomlin. Uh, love what he's doing. He was right in the Kenny Pickett pick as well. Only quarterback taken in the first round last uh, last in this last draft. And the Steelers look as formidable as they need. Obviously, they need T.J. Watt to be there, the best Watt brother. Obviously, after J.J. Watt retired, I still stand on the fact that T.J. Watt will be the best Watt brother to play in the NFL. And I think this season has proven it. He, he was injured. They were terrible. He came back, and they've been a force since. But I'm giving all the credit to Mike Tomlin. Man, the J.J. Watt erasure is strong on this podcast. Damn. Listen, I, I'm just I'm just telling you what I see. I I appreciate and respect that, as I do appreciate and respect Mike Tomlin. Who, despite, did you hear the report before the game that the Steelers practiced practiced in pat, full pads on Friday? That's some that's some Mike Tomlin stuff. I did not. I did not. I would like to think that's some AFC North stuff, but it's not. It's Mike Tomlin stuff. I remember when I got there in 2013 in their offseason, they had gone 8-8 eight and eight the year before, and they're like, yeah, we're going to hit a lot in this training camp. They made all of the <laughs> O&D linemen get fitted for knee braces in the NFL. That does not happen. In the NFL, it, in college, you are required. In the NFL, that is a choice. And that choice after one early training camp injury was taken away from everybody. And everybody was out here clanging and banging in knee braces because that man was pissed off for greatness about going 500. And while that's happened a little more often than he's been comfortable with, Brandon, once again, and him managing to MacGyver his way through this with a rookie quarterback and a coordinator on offense. I don't know if Matt Canada is going to be there next year based off mm. the performance that we've seen since he got at the helm in Pittsburgh. The fact that they are walking into week 18 with a chance for this man to once again be above 500 is insane. Mike Tomlin is inevitable. Um, shout, shout out to Don Joy and them big-ass knee, knee braces as well. Oh, man, the worst the – worst experience in college football <laughs> is getting dressed up on game day getting your knee braces on because then you got to put your game pants on over the top of them and then realizing you've got to poop Ooh, poop. i thought you were gonna say run but pooping is way worse way worse sitting in the stall I'm with your knee braces oh. not able to put your legs in the right spot it's terrible oh it's so bad uh. oh lord all right um, times. second rose uh i'm gonna go i know we talked about him already Jared Stenham, man, hats off to the mm. young dude. Preparation met opportunity, 23 of 34, 365 yards and three touchdowns. Now, you ended up having two interceptions in there, but also added 34 yards on the ground. Dude went out there and played utterly fearless in this game. And we can say, yeah, well, he's been in the league four years. He's not really a rookie. It's a little bit different. 
it was still his first start going up against the yes. San Francisco 49ers defense. Now, got help from his offensive line. Certainly their ground game also, um, you know, wasn't super prolific, but you get to hand the ball off to Josh Jacobs, who's been one of the top backs in football this year. But that dude made plays happen off schedule, on schedule, threw up and gave his playmakers opportunity. It was awesome to watch. I don't know if this is necessarily indicative of Jared Stidham's future other than being able to cash backup checks for a while. But A, that's an awesome really? lifestyle, and B, this was an awesome game. Yeah, honestly, Mike, it, you hate to be that guy that's like, oh, my gosh, Derek Carr would never, or whoever the guy was that the person Derek replaced. Carr would. But, Derek Carr is really good. Like this isn't this I isn't know, a game Mike, where this makes looked. me this this isn't a game where to me it's about Derek Carr playing poorly or not being worthy. It was about this rate. Like I was texting Jason Fitz, our good friend who's a lifelong diehard Raiders fan, and he said like yes. our offense has not done this. Like looked way more in sync for some reason in this game. Part of it, I can say, too, is like, hey, listen, defense, they don't know Jared Stidham. Jared Stidham has, is in his first start in the NFL. It's the, hey, you don't have a lot of tape on him situation, so you're not 100% sure what to expect, and that played out well. Good right. good bit of beginner's luck. I won $800 playing blackjack my first time. It was great. Yeah, and we obviously with Mike White, we can see that like it it, it, it ends at some point in time for some people, too. Like it, 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 You can be great like real quick in the NFL at the quarterback position when people don't have film on you. All right, but let's move it on to my rose. I'm going to give it out to goats. Goat roses. Goat roses today. Tom Brady, old-ass old Tom Brady, 45 years old, went out there 432 yards against that, against that anemic Carolina Panthers defense and three touchdowns, Mike, and touchdowns when they needed it to win the terrible NFC North – or, excuse me, NFC South – the, the 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 division that no one in the division wanted to win, Tom Brady was like, you know what? Let me go out here and do these things. Four hundred yards, such a crazy stat. I think uh, uh, Kevin Wilds, if you remember him from your days back at ESPN, now uh, uh, with Fox Sports, he tweeted, Belichick drafted QBs through for a combined one thousand yards and eight touchdowns today. Oh yeah. You you like that? Do you actually like that stat? I mean, imagine if Jimmy Garoppolo had been playing. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, but also, like, are we really giving that credit to Belichick? I don't think I am. But anyways, uh, so that's what Tom Brady did. That's one of my first goat roses. And my second goat rose, LeBron James. Uh, obviously, he had his birthday on the 30th. Uh, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday to LeBron. Uh, he's had a great last couple games, and he's uh, proven to be the goat that he is and will eventually pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in all-time points, possibly this season. We're expecting this season. But, Mike, he brought in the new year playing Madden. Oh, we yeah. We know he puts on a lot of big hats. Speaking of the big hat company, he puts on a lot of big hats of who he's fans of when it comes to football. And he claimed that, obviously, being from Akron, Ohio, he's a big Ohio State fan. He should be an Akron Zips fan, but that's neither here nor there. He was very sad after the big loss to Ohio State and turned on Madden, Mike. And his wife caught him on IG Live uh, or Instagram stories playing Madden, bringing in the year the right way. And it's the best advertisement for Madden I've ever seen, Mike. I didn't need Patrick Mahomes. I didn't need Tom Brady. I don't need all the 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 footage of the game. All I need to see is LeBron James playing it because I'm about to buy Madden today. I'm going to spend this year getting better at writing and playing Madden. You got influenced by LeBron James. Uh, who, who could have thought? Makes, Brandon makes you wonder. Stay woke. Wasn't an ad all along. 
Ooh. Madden and Nike working together. Little, little backdoor deal right here. Get something that looks homegrown, yeah. organic. Everyone can relate. I saw everyone like, damn, you can be LeBron James, and you still got to justify to your wife while you're playing Madden in a critical situation. <laughs> Celebrities, they're just like us. Right. Or are they? I'm just saying, let's check. Let's wait till mm. we find out the receipts. Someone Freedom of Information Act that thing and see what we're working with. <laughs> Damn, foying LeBron James for playing Madden to see if he was paid by Madden would be. I don't even know if that's like a FOIA, FOIA territory, but I just wanted to say FOIA on this podcast. Shout out to Matt Brown and the Extra Points newsletter for actually being a person that gets to use that on a regular basis. Yeah, that's dope. I, I was actually really excited when you said that. I was like, "Ooh, shit, we about to get into investigative journalism." You're not a crime podcast. That's the that's the new thing. Oh my god! All right, those are our roses at Gojo Show on Twitter. If you got any people uh, that we have missed along the way, anyone that you'd like to nominate, there. I was thinking about nominating. I watched Love Is Blind season three. Nancy's brother, uh, who went out there and Ooh. brothered his ass off when Bartice dropped her at the altar. Bartice, who was <gasps> yeah. Oh, were you watching? Or did you just fake that? <laughs> Nancy's brother. I'm watching the At Homes episode. And I had it on mute. And I was like, I got to watch that. This seems serious. I'm going to go ahead and go back. And you just told me the whole... I'm glad, though, because Bartista, he wasn't ready for no relationship. I couldn't believe that shit he tried to pull. Didn't even say a word to Raven talking to Nancy about how he he's split and torn. Damn, Boy. we might have to bleep that out. I realize that spoilers and some people, even though no, even though this season this it. season is months old. Like I I was taught texting True. about this yes. with some people, so I don't know what the statute of yeah. limitation on spoilers is for reality shows released on Netflix. But either way, salute to Nancy's brother out here brothering his whole ass off and letting everybody know what time hey. it is. And I'm going to let you transition, Mike, but uh, speaking of that, no spoilers for The Circle, please, because it just I think it's coming out on Wednesday. If it didn't come out last Wednesday, do you watch The Circle, Mike? I don't, know. Season three of The Circle last season was some of the best television I've ever seen. Frank, I'm, t- I'm telling you, Mike, just cut the shit on. You, you may not finish it, but it is a, a treat. It is a treat. That Kaleidoscope show hit Netflix, too, the one that's supposed to be a different order of the episodes oh, yes. for everybody is out there now. So lots of stuff happening. Come through, Nick. Lots of stuff happening. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, quick review of picks from this last weekend. Brandon, this is all about you, man. I was horrific. Uh, the only win I had this weekend was TCU plus seven and a half versus Michigan. Everything else. Georgia minus six and a half loss. NC State minus one against Maryland loss. Oh. All my NFL picks. Panthers plus three. San Fran minus 10. Jets minus one and a half. Was an absolute tire fire. I'm 47, 52, and four on the year. Brandon, stocking stuffers undefeated this weekend. Four and oh for you, big dog. The last month or the last week in December to get all my stocking stuffers hit, like it just feels like. I'm hitting my peak of football knowledge as well. I know I said it was it was a uh, I was getting fatigued last week. It's because I just know, you know what I mean. Like when you know, it's like a kid that you know gets needs to get harder classes. You know, yeah. I, you're like in your Thanos right now. You're not the only one cursed with knowledge. <laughs> cursed with this football knowledge. Oh, what can I say? But yeah, that, all those I was I was betting on teams, and that's what happens nowadays. Now that's this time of season. You got to It's not about the, the the circumstance or the weather or the travel. It's the team, because the great ones are built to travel. Mm. Write that down. So make sure again, <laughs> fade me. 
hitch your wagon to Brandon Newman. Uh, Brandon had Jags minus four and a half, Lions minus six, Packers plus three, and Chargers minus six and a half to go four and oh this weekend. So Brandon, while you were in the celebratory mood and as we ring in the new year and say happy new year to everybody, one more time on this podcast because I'm done after today. Do you know what time it is, Brandon? Oh, do I, Mike? And I'm so thankful and glad for the time. And I'm going I'm to I'm take it to the new year, okay? Bear with me. Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and this, that, and the third? Do you know what Auld Lang Syne means? Absolutely not, Mike. Absolutely not. But I know it's a wonderful, beautiful song for the new year that makes no sense and it's gibberish to me. But I would love to do the research. Have you done it? I'm just Googling it now. And I usually do this. This is my usual thing. I usually come with the facts about the song I sing. The poems Scott the poem Scott's title may be translated into standard English as old long since or less literally times long past old times essentially it sounds like it's reflecting on old times it's the tradition like when i said it to you at first you had no idea what i was talking about and then played it for you nope. everyone knows old lang syne but i'm not sure most people know like i actually i think mo- most people know the name of it i i mean I, listen and shout out to most people because i'm not one of them but times long past is what it what pops up in the oxford Oxford Dictionary, and uh, I don't know if I like the New Year's song being so like living in the past, so rearview mirror. You know, uh, as 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 Andre Three Thousand told us, uh, spaceships don't come equipped with rearview mirrors. No, they, they dip. dip. Yeah, I, as quick as they can. I was, I was. You know what? That is an interesting note because so much of it is forward facing. That song is really melancholy and look melancholy and looking back. We always talk about needing yeah. to upgrade like the national anthem. Like people always. They, I've said international players anthem would be a great one Ooh. for that one. We need to pick a new Ooh. New Year's song at Gojo Show on Twitter. Uh, let us yes. know what the new New Year's Eve song should be. Also, download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five star rating uh, and a review. Tell Brandon how great he's doing on this. And if you want to leave your suggestions there for what the new New Year's Eve song should be, let us know. One one sidebar, Mike. My mind brought got brought to Kesha because I feel like when she was out, she was a lot of New Year's songs. She started TikTok. Wow. <laughs> I hope she's getting those royalties. Crazy to think of. Man. Wow. <sighs> man, wow. What an innovator. Shout out to Kesha, man. I hope she's doing I hope yeah. I, I, she's been through a lot since then, so I hope she is walking into 2023 sure. doing a lot better. Brandon, let's start off our uh 2023 here and um take a look uh, at what's coming up. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast on Monday, this would be kind of dated, but um, we have got the Cotton Bowl and the uh, Rose Bowl coming up today here. 
the Cotton Bowl yes. between USC and Tulane, the Rose Bowl between Utah and Penn State here as college football gets ready to go in the home stretch uh, in the next week. The national championship will be played on Monday the 9th out in SoFi here in Los Angeles. I'm excited to have college football come to me for once this season. That'll be very fun. But uh, for USC, we'll see yeah. if Caleb Williams makes it out on the field against Tulane team that's been fun as hell to root for this year. And if Utah is going to do to Penn State what it did to everyone down the stretch of the season and beat the unrelenting shit out of them in what would be like Sean Clifford, it feels like his 1,000th football game at the helm for Penn State. Yeah, Mike, I was uh, hanging out with somebody who went to Kentucky uh, this weekend. Uh, Shouts out to Corey Peters. Uh, But he was telling me that he doesn't believe that Tulane in schools of that sort should ever play in in, in big bowl games, Cotton Bowl included. So you say he went to Kentucky? Yes. I don't know if he should get to talk after this weekend where they got blanked by the Iowa defense. The Iowa defense alone beat the entire team of Kentucky. And I get that they didn't have Will Levis. I'm just saying this might not be the weekend to talk your shit if you're Kentucky. I'm here, and somebody who just gets excited for a Music City Bowl invite, like just chill a little bit, you know. Yeah, Tulane. Tulane. I love the fact that group of five teams get to do this, and I will listen. If Caleb Williams either does not play or is not a hundred percent in this game, I'm just saying it could be kind of froggy. I'm not willing to pick anything mm. crazy here, but this Tulane team has beat the shit out of some folks who fucked or were like willing to fuck around and find out with this thing. See Kansas State, the Big 12 champions who got their doors rocked by TCU physically in that game. I'm just saying you don't want to sleep on this team because there's some there's some bad dudes. There's some bad dudes. Um some heat. Brandon, uh so those will be those will be exciting. Obviously, you know, we're holding on to the last few remaining college football games. Everyone gets to talk about the Rose Bowl sunset and freak out about that after we watched the Rose Bowl almost cost us early college football playoff expansion, which again made me pit myself between a petulant bowl game or ruthless corporate greed and playoff expansion and didn't feel good about either. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anytime you got to look yourself in the mirror like that, it's not good. But I did want to shout out Tulane for the 83 years, 83 years, since they've been to a major bowl game. So this is, if you want something to root for. Oh, time. dude, Tulane's super easy to root for. Went like 2-12 and 12 last season. They spent most of the beginning part of last year displaced by a hurricane. Were on the road living out of a hotel for about a month of last season. It was horrific for them. <laughs> Willie Fritz and company deserve a ton of credit. Michael Pratt, their quarterback, sticking around next year, which is awesome for them in this new uh, name, image, and likeness world. The fact that this guy... Decided the grass and the green were both still greener in New Orleans. Pretty cool to watch him finish out his uh, career there for the angry green wave. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, Luka Doncic, been on some bullshit. Um, Capped off an historic five-game run. He's the first NBA player in history with 250 points, 50 rebounds, and 50 assists over a five-game span. He capped that off with a 51-point outing against the San Antonio Spurs this weekend. Um, it was his third 50-point outing in the last five games that included that 60-20-10 game against the Knicks that was the first stat line of its kind. Uh, dudes, Luka Doncic, again, like him, all that stuff, I just appreciated that he hasn't yet done the Nikola Jokic thing where he heard everyone talking about his body and lost a bunch of weight and became a vegan. We haven't gotten to that point, and Luka is still out here balling. 
Yeah, balling, drinking. Uh, we hope he's having a good time. I don't know what he does in the offseason. I want a documentary on this young man eventually. But not to act like my uh, basketball fandom is moved by LeBron as well or influenced. But, you know, he LeBron's favorite character, uh, player in the NBA right now is, is Luka. And, uh, you know, LeBron has good good taste. Well, you know what it is, is LeBron's eventually going to be able to say the thing, he reminds me a lot of myself. Which is what LeBron uh, yes, wants yes. most in any well, sort of praise that he can dish out is the ability to bring it back to him. I think he kind of did already. One of the things he, when somebody asked him, was like, what, what do you like so much about Luca?" He's like, his size, his size. He's just, you can't coach that. It's just so and I was like, okay. I hear you, LeBron, your big ass. Um, but also I love Luca being perfect for the NBA off the field as well. Off the court, off the field that uh, Greg Popovich, Obviously, Luca was on a tear before the game. They said, what are you going to do about Luca?" And he jokingly said, I'm going to hold him. We're going to hold him to 50. That's going to be our goal as a team to keep him on below 50, you know, laugh, laugh it off. And Luca ended with 51. And, uh, you know, him and Pop had a little fun stuff after the game, talking to each other. It's just it's just cool to see a guy call his number like that. Like we knew when he first got here and he said the NBA was kind of easy for him, that we could all be in trouble. I'm glad we're seeing it. NBA's Joe Burrow, man, out here balling. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. There you go. go. Um, Brandon, let's get to the third because I think Celine Dion is still currently trending for this reason. The folks over at the Rolling Stone decided to do the 200 greatest singers of all time. Now, do you have the top 10 pulled up in front of you? Because I know this involves a lot of scrolling. So if not, I can filibuster. I I, I don't, but I do. So let, give me, because you know, I got uh, I got tabs open. Got them tabs. So, so I just got to find my some, some notable ones to consider along the way as we look towards the top 10. Checking in at 102, Taylor Swift. Checking in at 86, Michael Jackson. Checking in at 68. Bad Girl Riri, Rihanna. Mm -hmm. Celine Dion is nowhere to be found on this list. She of my heart will go on fame. She who, for a generation that grew up and became young men and women watching Titanic, just off the sheer strength of that vocal performance alone, Brandon, I am stunned. Yes, I, it's very surprising, Mike. They say that, to keep in mind, this isn't the top 200 voices. This is the top 200 singers. I really don't understand the distinction yeah, as what's, much. What's the difference? I mean, like, cause, like, what does that even mean? It's like, 
It's like adding criteria to further confuse people who are trying to grade the criteria. Oh, see, I hate. It's like, I, I don't know what that is. Because, like, is that different let, let than, me, like, me... artists? Because I would say that that's a totally right, different right. thing where you sit in this. And especially given who's so at the top of this list. Exactly. Thank you. So I, am, I have the top ten. I'm sitting at it now. Are you ready? Yes. Coming in at number ten is Al Green. Just so people don't okay. think that we're uh, um, lagged out. Okay, yes. <laughs> Coming in at nine is Otis Redding. A controversial number eight, Beyonce. Stevie Wonder at number seven. Coming in at number six, Ray Charles. The Ray Charles. A lot of people's favorite, especially around the holiday season. Coming in at number five, Mariah Carey. Mm. So the top five starts with Mariah Carey. Carey. Then you get number four, Billie Holiday. Then you get Sam Cooke at number three. Oh, Whitney Houston at number two mm-hmm. and leading the way on the Rolling Stones top 200 singers of all time, Mike. Aretha Franklin at number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting pretty. No, and you, Sitting beautiful. you know what? Aretha Franklin is one absolutely deserving of being in that spot, whatever metric singer is for this list that I don't understand. I think Bob Dylan was on this list and not Celine Dion. In what world, if this is like, because again, singer to me implies that this is in some respect about vocal prowess. That's the thing that's a bit unnerving to me. Because if it's about vocal prowess too, I think Adele, especially as far as modern submissions, belongs in the top 10. Like as singularly powerful a voice as exists in modern music. But for Aretha Franklin, my hot take musically has always been for the song Bridge Over Troubled Water, that Clay Aiken's version Mm -hmm. was better than Simon and Garfunkel's version. And that's a song where I was never sure who sang the original and who to credit with that. And when I came out with that, which I stand by, by the way, the Simon and Garfunkel version is a bit of a slog. Clay Aiken's version that he debuted on American Idol is an absolute heater. You've got the benefit of a chorus in the background. But Chris Long rightly put Aretha Franklin's version in front of me when I tweeted that last time. And I'll always put my hand up when I am wrong, and I will admit when other people are right. Chris is 100% right about that. That Aretha Franklin version, I probably listened to 40 times on repeat while I was getting ready for a college football game after it was introduced to my life. I don't know what took me so long. I apologize for taking too long (laughs) to get here. That being said, I've arrived, and I'm willing to plant my flag with that version of that song in perpetuity from here on out. I, I wish I could give credit to the writer who wrote this uh, for this Aretha Franklin write-up for her being at number one, but it's perfect. Quote, more universal than Coltrane's horn, bolder than Hendrix's guitar. She blew up the worldwide, she blew up worldwide with her 1967 hit Respect, claiming her throne as the greatest pop rock or soul singer ever. As Mary J. Blige put it to Rolling Stones, she's the reason why women want to sing. Mm. Mm. That's 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 hard. That's hard. If Mary, that's if hard. Mary J a, is saying that about you, right? She's who's in who's in this top two hundred list. Uh, but the fact that she's in there and Celine Dion is not. It's like okay, what does that even mean? But uh, just to let you uh, round out some other ones, sixteen is where Prince sits. Frank Sinatra at nineteen, Marvin Gaye at twenty, and then I wanted to bring up Adele, obviously the Queen, also connected to LeBron in a weird way, sitting at number twenty two. LeBron is connected to her, and Rich Paul is lucky to be connected to her, all right? 
let's okay, let's let's make sure. let's make sure we frame, especially on the Rich Paul front here. That man should be so grateful to sleep next to that queen. Listen, I, I try I try to stay out of people's business when it comes to relationships until I got something to say. So. I'm just, I'm just saying, as far as the star power between the two, if we are writing the headline, Adele's name I, shows up first on the dais. Okay, that is indisputable. Okay. All right, all right. Clutch, clutch agency's doing a pretty good job. We'll see. We'll see what time says. Because uh, hey, Adele might end up making a theme song for Clutch to take him over the top. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Adele is infinitely more famous than Rich Paul. Full stop. There is no comparing the two. She, she is the the wearer of the pants. Whatever you want in that one. I will. I will not enter. I will not entertain any other thought to that because it's not true. Okay. Okay. I, I believe in, I believe in couples coming together and becoming one. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate everyone that has come together and become one with this podcast over the course of 2022. Thank you for starting 2023 with us here. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. As always, leave us that five-star rating and review. Check out the DraftKings YouTube channel. Sub- subscribe to that too. Go and check out our playlist, the Gojo Michael Jr. playlist. Give us the thumbs up on that. I see yes. more of you doing it. I see you looking. I see you liking. Thank you. Show us that. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Enjoy whenever you're listening to us at the Cotton Bowl or the Rose Bowl. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.